Amen. Thank you, Steve. Worship team. When I was a late teenager, 18, 19, then 20, 21, 22, I grew up in a Christian home. My parents were missionaries in Brazil. We were on the Amazon River. I was at a Christian school. I was surrounded by biblical uh, teaching, discipleship, growing up. What a privilege. What a privilege. When I was this late teenager, I used to wonder, and maybe I still do, what it meant. What does it mean to be a mature Christian? When will I know that I'm a mature Christian? Now, those of you who know me know that I like to laugh and joke and have a good time. In fact, my report cards, pretty much my 12 years of school, first grade to 12, almost every one of them somewhere on the report from the teacher says, Tom enjoys life maybe sometimes too much. That's my disposition. That's what God has given me. I am thankful for that. But the conflict that I sensed was to be a mature Christian must mean that I need to be more sober, that I've got to be more serious so that uh, when we speak of truths... So, um, toward the end of my college days, I, uh, for two summers, I got to be in Alaska giving tours. I would drive tour buses. Actually, we didn't call them buses. They were called motor coaches. It was Gray Line, West Tours, Holland America West Tours. And so they hired uh, students from Western, Seattle Pacific, and the UW, and they would train us in Seattle and take us up. And I think they liked young people. They were unattached to whatever they could go. And hopefully they were enthusiastic as they delivered tour information of driving around Alaska. Incredible experience. I loved it. So there were a bunch of us college-aged people working together, among which were a few of us that were believers, that were followers of Christ. And there was a, this one fella, we'll call him... Bobby, to protect the guilty. We'll call him Bobby. <laughs> Bobby was a Christian. But up to that point in my life, and remember I'm on this journey trying to decide or determine what does it mean to be a mature believer. This guy was as serious as they come. In fact, he was actually glum. Not angry, but very sober, I thought, I wonder if that's what it means. Is that guy a mature Christian? Is that what it looks like? And I wrestled with it. Most of the first summer that I was in Alaska. And it, boy, the Lord just hit me with it at one point during that summer going, what's missing is joy. There's no joy in that guy's life. And man, it bothered me. I go... I'm watching him interact with others who are not believers, who are, and so forth, and there is no attractiveness to that. It's actually repelling. 
Now, I'm not, I don't want to be critical of him. I don't know what was going on. In my immaturity, I didn't have what it takes to go and say, how are you doing? I didn't do that. I was just trying to figure it out myself. Today, I'd go and say, hey, man, how's it going? But God taught me something. It was one of those moments that was a key moment in my life, a building block to go, no, joy is a part of who God is. And he is a joyful God, and he wants his people, his followers, to be joyful. And it was a great relief. <laughs> it was a great relief. So we're, we are studying the fruit of the Spirit. So let's look at those. Galatians, those, those qualities of the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22, 23, and we're going to read 24 as well. Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Kind of hearkening back to the previous verses of the works of the flesh. And the contrast that we see between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Pastor Aaron two weeks ago pointed out these are not all of the, the qualities, the characteristics of a Christ follower. There are many others mentioned, but it's a great little list that God has given us right here, and he called them the fruit of the Spirit. So today, we're going to talk about joy. When I was given the assignment to speak in this, oh, I love that. This is going to be fun. I've had a weekend, people. I've had a weekend. I opened my computer. I had done a lot of work this week and the research and taking a bath in this whole thing and digging in. It's been so good. And I was going to finish it up last night. We had a memorial service for Lloyd Flato in here yesterday afternoon and went home and going, okay, now I'm going to finish up this sermon. I opened my computer and it was gone. The whole thing was gone. Okay, Lord. <laughs> I'm loving this. Joy, 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 joy. And I have learned wonderful things through the study of joy. So we're going to have a very short message this morning. <laughs> Not really, sorry. First, let's talk about what joy is. We need to define it. I love defining things. What is it? So the Greek is hara. That's the Greek word. Because you need to know what the Greek word is, hara. And it means joy. There we go. It means joy. Isn't that deep? It means gladness. It is a state of happiness, delight, to rejoice, a feeling of great pleasure. We know what joy is. It is happiness. It is all of those things. But, but there's a but to it, and we're going to dig in. There are levels of joy, right? There are levels of joy. There's the surface joy, the temporary joy that we experience, and so forth. And it can come from things like your, your team winning. 
Oh, right, we exult. Our team won. Brazil lost, and that ticks me off last night. But I'm happy for Messi. Okay, those of you who are Argentinians that are loving Messi, it's great for him. A food item, a food item brings joy, doesn't it? We had some folks over Friday night, and we made Brazilian churrasco. I'm telling you, folks, if you haven't experienced Brazilian food, you're missing out on a piece of joy that you have no idea you're missing out on. So Sue and Christy, my wife and daughter, Sue and Christy, discovered a recipe for pão de queijo. Pão de queijo is cheese bread. Yeah, you can get it at Costco, Brazili Bites, but they don't even come close to what these two made this day. They're little morsels of beautifulness. The crispy bread on the outside with that rubbery cheese bread inside, and it is unbelievable. And you sit there and you pound them down, and it's joyous. There's a deeper joy than that, though. Because what happens, I hate, what I hate about eating Shuhasku Brazilian barbecue is you get full. I hate that. And you have to stop eating. It's just a problem. And the joy departs. <laughs> There's a deeper joy. Somebody was applying for a job and they got the job. Yes. Yeah, and it's joyous. A loved one comes home. My daughter came home from Memphis for a few weeks. Ooh, baby, that's joyous. But she's going to leave. Tick me off. (laughs) I'm just kidding, not really. But there is the deepest joy. There is the deepest joy. When somebody places their faith in Jesus Christ, it's as deep as it gets. When somebody repents of their ways and they, they yield to God and we see lives being transformed by God, there's not a deeper joy. In a relationship where there's reconciliation, that joy is deep. What we're studying in this passage and the fruit of the Spirit is at the deepest levels of joy. Because you see, this fruit, this aspect of the fruit, joy, is not something that you conjure up. It is not from you. Because it's a fruit of the Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit in us. That's where that joy comes from. We can try to manifest the fruit of the Spirit. There's nothing wrong with it. There's no law against it. We can try to manifest those things and work towards those things, but that's really not where it comes from. It is the Holy Spirit in you. It is the Holy Spirit in you. It is the evidence of his presence in you. That's where that comes from. Now, you think about that. It's a scary thought, honestly, because if I don't manifest, display joy in my life, does it mean I don't have the Holy Spirit? Does it mean I'm not seeking the Lord in my life that he might then live out joy in my life? I'm afraid the answer is yes. I'm afraid the answer is yes. Circumstances. Point number one was the definition. We just completed that. Point number two, what is the source of joy? What is the uh, source of this aspect of the fruit of the Spirit? Which is the answer right there. But where does it come from? Does it come from circumstances? Sometimes it does, doesn't it? We have joy in our circumstances. But 
they, in our circumstances, certainly influence us. They influence our mood, our disposition, our ups and downs in life. We're influenced by our circumstances. Life is not always giddy with joy. Sometimes we see somebody who seems giddy with joy in a circumstance that shouldn't be that way. And we go, what's going on there? And you want to explore that. Is that person for real? And maybe they are. What about the hard times? The death of a loved one. Uh, Abuse, injustice. That is not a circumstance. Those are not circumstances that are joyous in the least. The losing of a loved one. Exactly three years ago this weekend, Diego Sen crashed in an airplane and died. You will remember that. He's like a son to us. Remember that? The FAA, by the way, came out with a report here a little while ago. They figured out what happened. You'll never believe it. A white pelican bird strike is what it was. That's what they determined. They had run into a white pelican 5,000 feet and crashed the airplane. What do you do with that? There's no joy in that. Yesterday we celebrated the passing of Lloyd Flatto and we had a marvelous rich time together. But there is sorrow and there is grieving. There were some who testified it was, it's too short. It's too soon. Dan Wilder, what a shocker. It's too soon, but not for God. And therein is the difference. Where's the joy in times like these? Listen to these verses in Habakkuk 3, 17, 18, and 19. Listen to this. This is speaking to circumstances. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the, yields, the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. All of these are circumstances, and nothing is working. Everything is going terribly. And he goes on to say, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. I love where the focus is because it tells us everything. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. It is not in my circumstances. That is not where I will be looking. In Nehemiah, we have that famous quote that we all use so much, the joy of the Lord is your strength. We change it to be is my strength, but the original is your strength because Nehemiah was talking to the Jews who had come back from exile to rebuild. And they heard the reading of God's word for the first time in a really long, long time. They had not heard God's word in a long time and they began to weep. They were sad at all that they had missed. And Nehemiah says, this is not a day of mourning. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. 
The Lord is here. The Lord is on the throne. That is where our joy lies. That is the source of our joy. John 15, 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You got nothing apart from me. Abide in me. That word abide, it means to remain, to continue to be present. I think it means the pattern of your life is you are walking and seeking God. That's what that means. To abide with Jesus. You seek Him in your life because He is the source of joy. He is the source of life itself. Jesus goes on to say in John, uh, just a few verses further on, John 15, 11, He says, These things I have spoken to you. And the things He's talking about is, He said, Abide in me, abide in my love, and be fruitful. Produce fruit. Those three things are what Jesus is talking about. So these things have I spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I love that. See, Jesus is joy. God is a joyful God. This fruit of the Spirit is of Him. He exudes these qualities, these, this fruit, and he wants to do the same thing in us. He wants us to experience the same thing. And Jesus says, abide in me, walk with me, seek me, and that fruit then will be in you, and you'll be full of joy. What we are talking about is a deeper joy, a profound sense of joy in the depths of our beings, in the depths of our souls. Joy results only when we look to God. We trust in God. We rest in God. He is our rock. He is our fortress. He is our salvation. He is our peace. In fact, I believe joy is inextricably linked with peace think they go together but we'll leave peace alone because pastor mike will be preaching on peace next week and i can't wait they go together john 10 10 jesus says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy i came that they may have life and have it abundantly i came that you might have life, but not just life, but abundantly. <laughs> We're going to talk more about abundant life here in a minute. In other words, though, Jesus is the source of our joy. It doesn't come from us. can't conjure it up. He is the source. In fact, Hebrews 12:2, you know it well, I believe, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He knew the joy that was set before him. And it was his pleasure, and it was his um, favor, good favor for us that he did that. He chose to do that. Not an easy thing that Jesus did for the joy that was set before him. How could he endure such suffering? 
such, such a horrible death because he knew what the joy was that was to come. He was living and he died on purpose with a joyful, joyful purpose. And that leads me to point number three, living joy, I call it, living joy. Living out joy in our lives. How in the world do we even do that? Jesus gave us the example. Jesus did not look forward to suffering and dying in that way. We see him in the garden imploring the Father to take this cup from me, but not my will, but thine be done. That was the value that trumped everything else, is being obedient to the Father. And through that comes joy. I think there are two aspects of joyful living, of living out joy in our lives. God is working in us. That's number one. He is working in you, and he's working through you. That's the second When we understand that every day of our life, as we walk through life, and we understand that God is at work in me, it makes all the difference. And I also understand that he is working through me. He's accomplishing his will, his purposes through me. I'm sorry, but there is joy all over that. God is at work in us. We read in uh, Romans 8.29 that we are being conformed to the image of God, of Christ, it says. We are being conformed to the image of Christ. Have you, have you dug into that to see what that really means? Being conformed to look like Jesus. Do you know that in Colossians we read, he, talking about Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. So we're being conformed to the image of Jesus, who is the image of the Father. Therefore, we are being conformed to the image of the Father. How cool is that? But what does that look like? What does that mean, that conforming piece, to look like Jesus? In 2 Corinthians 3, we read this, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So that's part of that, this transformation, this being conformed to the image of Jesus, there's a transformation that's taking place in your life from one glory to another level of glory. What does that mean? It's really talking about morally, spiritually. Our character is being transformed. He's doing it in us. The fruit of the Spirit is what we are talking about. That as we seek God, we pursue God in our lives, He does this work in us. And what begins to come out of us, bit by bit, is his own character, the fruit of the Spirit, love. We grow in godly love towards others. Our joy factor increases because it's him in us and it's coming through and he's doing it in us. Do you also know that we will be transformed physically? Certainly not yet. I know my carcass isn't improving any. (laughs) In Philippians, we read, 
But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. I love this, and I love the story you shared, Dan. Is he glowing all the time? When you see him, is he glowing? We see the transfiguration in the New Testament. They saw him in his transfigured body more closely than what he really is. And it was glowing. Remember Moses, when he came down, was glowing. We will be that way when we're there. Dan Wilder is done with that body of his. Hallelujah. And he's being transformed now into physically a glorious body. Physically. What does Paul say about being transformed, being conformed to the image, the things that, that God is doing in us. In 2 Corinthians, we read this. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this. It, it, before that, he was, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul goes on to say, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness. I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness. Doesn't that sound like joy? I am going to find joy in my weakness because I know that God is at work and his power will be made perfect in my weakness. And I can't wait to see God display his power in my weakness. A little moment yesterday in our memorial service, after we had done an open eulogy, so many people sharing about Lloyd, and it was great. It was all such good. This man loved the Lord, and it was such a great time. I'm just going, I want to respond to this. We got done, I go, it's not real common, but I just feel like we ought to applaud. Can we just clap for Floyd, for Lloyd? It was a standing ovation in this place, you all. Everybody was standing and clapping. It was so great, and it was a God moment. This was God doing it. That was his power at work, and it was as rich and joyful as you could imagine, and it was a memorial service. That's our Lord. That's the joy in the hard thing. He goes on to say, Paul does, for the sake of of Christ, then I am content with weakness. His circumstances are tough, but he goes, no, I am content. There is joy in that. I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It's God's strength in me. It's not me. It's his strength. James says, to count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Why? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God is growing us. So when we encounter hard things, like your sermon disappearing hours before you need to deliver it, I'm going, okay, Lord, you know what's going on here. I trust you completely, but i got to process here what just happened. (laughs) 
Instead of working at my house, I went down to the office where I had been thinking and praying and meditating and studying so that I could be back in that same space. And God brought a lot back, and, and here we are. All glory to him. In the hard things, he's at work. In the hard things, he's working in you. He's transforming you to be more like Jesus. Oh, what joy that is. Lord, bring it. <laughs> but take it easy. <laughs> Many of you have been through hard things or you're going through hard things, but you've seen God at work in there. And when you get through the hard thing, you look back and go, Lord, thank you. That was unbelievable, but I never want to do it again. (laughs) But you're thankful because he taught you so much and you grew so much because you're being conformed to his image for his glory. Having this perspective is critical. It makes all the difference. When I see that my life is connected to God, that he is transforming, he's in the sanctification process with me to be more like him, what joy there is. That's God in us. Now let's talk about God through us, and we'll wrap this up. God through us. Romans 12.1, I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, because I want to use you. Ephesians 2.10 says, I prepared things for you to do in advance. Those of you who are in Christ Jesus, you are on mission with me. I'm doing stuff and I want you to be a part of that. I want to reach out. 2 Corinthians 5, we read that uh, we are his ambassadors, that he's making his appeal to the world through us. We, We saw in the video from the Pringles that that's what that's all about. They're reaching out in order to draw people to himself in other places. But it's happening everywhere. God is doing it here in PA. He's doing it everywhere. He did it in Denver, I trust. And he's doing it everywhere. He wants you to be a part of that. He is calling you. That's why he says, I beseech you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice because he's got work for you to do. And his mission is the greatest mission ever. And he implores us. He says, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Make yourself right with God first because then he will use you to draw others to be reconciled to him as well. You all, this is the deepest joy that there is. To live life on purpose, God's purposes, brings the deepest joy possible. That is what we were created to be and to do. When we align ourselves with God's mission, his purposes, the result is a joy that is as deep as it gets, it's as high as it gets, and it's as wide as it gets, because that's what we were created for. This, my brothers and sisters, is abundant living. It all changed for me when I was about 30 years old when I finally understood this. God knows me. He knows me. He knows you. Personally, he knows you. Second, he loves you. He loves you. And third, he wants to use you. He wants to engage you on his mission. When I understood that, it changed everything for me in my life. And that's when, for me, the Holy Ghost train ride began. And I love using that analogy, the Holy Ghost train ride, because he is the conductor. He is in control of my life. 
And when I acknowledge that and I say, Lord, here I am. I offer myself to you anytime, anywhere. You want to use me. I'm available. I'm going to seek you with everything I have got. I make myself, you are riding the train and you better just hang on. Fasten your seatbelt. And you just keep hanging on to him. You know, a train goes through tunnels and it's pitch black. It goes over trestles that are way high and it's a drop off on both sides and it's terrifying. Uh, and it's exhilarating at the same time. You go and see vistas, you see scenes that are incredible. This is what our life is, and this is what abundant life is. I love that word abundant. It means extra, overflowing. We have an old-time popcorn popper, the wheelie thing. I love that thing. But when I overload it with popcorn, which is almost every time, popcorn starts flying out. That should be our life. That's the life that God has designed for every one of you. To be overflowing with life. It's his life in you. And as you seek him, he's saying, I'm going to use you. And when he shows you that he is using you, it changes everything because your life has significance. When I was in sixth grade on the Amazon River, after school, from such and such a time to another, it was elementary school kids swimming time. I was in grade six, down there swimming, all that, and a rare thing happened. A float plane came, a seaplane came, missionary plane came and landed way out there. It was just such an exciting thing. The lifeguard blew the whistle, everybody out of the water, get out of the way of this plane coming. It landed way out there. I would say probably 200 yards out there, this thing landed. Landed, and it was zooming along, landed, and something came out of the plane, a, a bag came out of the plane, and it came taxiing, and the lifeguard is going, uh-oh, something fell out of the plane, we need to get it. He's looking over the crowd of elementary students to find the swimmer who could go rescue that lost article, and he chose me. He chose me. Hey, Tom. <clears throat> yes, sir. Oh, I felt so important. Could you go out and and get that? Sure. All the elementary kids are watching as I dove off the dock, and now I'm stroking powerfully out to rescue this thing. Baby, I'm feeling it, man, because I'm on mission. I'm going out, the plane taxis, and it comes taxiing right by where I was, and he says, I don't think you want to go get that. Because I think it was a barf bag full of stuff. So my heroic moment turned into kind of a weird moment. (laughs) But here's the thing. In that moment, you all, I was on mission. I was on mission. And I loved it. And when somebody important gives you a mission, you know what you feel like. Well, the creator of the universe, God, sovereign God over all, has a mission for you. He has called every one of us to be on mission with him. Specific tasks that only he has saved for you to do. You all, when you recognize that, Hebrews 6, 11, 6, at the end it says that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I think that reward is the fruit of the Spirit. He gives us his joy as we seek him. Maybe that joy is that he's changing us, making us more like himself, including a permeating joy in our lives, saturating us with his joy that we then exude to others. 
for his glory, not our own. That, brothers and sisters, is joy. As Jesus died, we have read and quoted that he did it for the joy that was set before him. What was the joy that was set before him? It was this. It was our forgiveness. It was our freedom. It was the fact that we can be set free, we are forgiven, and sin no longer has any reign over us. And we are in a right relationship, we are reconciled to the Father, and that we will live with him one day, and we get to be on mission while we're still here on earth. Oh my word, I'm sorry, that's abundant living. My friends, when you understand abundant living, there's nothing but joy as a result. Hallelujah! I get to be a part of what God is doing, and I love that. (laughs) Yeah, there are hard times. There are hard, painful, sorrowful times in the midst of it. But underneath it, underneath it, I talked to Dan Jr. last night, underneath all the grief and weeping, he's going, but God's on the throne. My trust is unshaken. It's all good. He came to seek and to save the lost. He came to bring forgiveness of sins. He, bring, he died to bring reconciliation to the Father. Oh, the joy. Pastor Aaron, a couple weeks ago, asked the question, what, sent, what sets a Christ follower apart from those who are not Christ followers? I, I propose, as he did then, it's the fruit of the Spirit. Nothing we conjure up, it's him in us. Oh, the joy. Some have said, choose joy. There's even a book by that title, I believe, Choose Joy. I would say, you know what? Yeah, you can try to choose joy. I say choose to follow Christ. Choose to seek God in your life, and joy will be the result of that. When I think about the the thought of joy robbers, There are joy robbers in our life, and they're almost, probably are absolutely always circumstantial things. And when we focus on that, we make that the focus. We're looking for joy in our circumstances. Our joy will be robbed, guaranteed. Don't let those things be joy robbers. In the discussion questions that that I prepared, the first question is, name some joy robbers in your life. It's not intended to have names of people. Don't write people's names. <laughs> Just wanted to clarify that. I read those later and go, oh, I need to explain that because this could not be good. Yeah, Jimmy, he just robs my joy all the time. <laughs> Lord Jesus, we give you thanks. Oh, Lord, we give you thanks. We thank you. We thank you. Father, we thank you. We praise you for the freedom, the forgiveness that we have, the abundant life that you have given us. Lord, it is the best. Everything in me wants to scream out hallelujah. Thank you for what you have done. And so we give you all the glory and all the praise right now in Jesus' name, amen.